You are listening to the Hope Fellowship Church Podcast. To find more information about our church and ministries, check out our website at hopeandanderson.com. Now, this week's teaching. Good morning. My name is Christy Robinson. I have been attending Hope for 12 years now. I have the blessing of serving Hope Kids as well as Faith in Action Puppet Ministry. If you will, please stand for today's reading. The passage today is from Judges chapter 9, verses 50 through 57. Then Abimelech went to Thepez and encamped against Thepez and captured it. But there was a strong tower within the city, and all the men and women and all the leaders of the city fled to it and shut themselves in. And they went up to the roof of the tower. And Abimelech came to the tower and fought against it and drew near to the door of the tower to burn it with fire. And a certain woman threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Then he called quickly to the young man, his armor bearer, and said to him, Draw your sword and kill me, lest they say of me a woman killed him. And this young man thrust him through, and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, everyone departed to his home. Thus God returned the evil of Abimelech, which he committed against his father in killing his 70 brothers. And God also made all the evil of the men in Shechem return on their heads. And upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jeroboam. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. Uh, it's great to see you today. So I, I can kind of go old school this morning and say, um, take your Bibles and turn, right? Because we have no screen behind us, which is, well, the screen is there. There's no image on the screen this morning. But today we continue in our series, Teaching Through the Book of Judges. Today we're teaching on the judge of that we find in the book of Judges, Abimelech. And so let me start by saying to you real quick um, a few things. First is this, uh, before uh, we begin our study, that um, just pray for my voice today, and and I'll I'll just be really upfront about that with you, is uh, I don't have a lot of voice left, and uh, as as the more I talk, the more I uh, sound like Bob Ross. You know who Bob Ross is, right? You know, Correct. And so if I mess up, we make a cloud or a tree, correct? And so it's pretty good, yes. Uh, so it works out well. I've been home all week with the flu. And uh, this is, uh, and for those of you on the front row, I'm not contagious. So don't worry about it, okay? It's all good. I'll try to stay on the stage. You stay in your seats. So that's, that's kind of the way it works as well. But today I may, I may cough a little bit and uh, just work with me on, on that as well. I'm going to be sitting some uh, because, you know, still recuperating, going to be sipping uh, uh, quite a bit as well. And, uh, and will this summate the life of this amazing, uh, really actually crazy individual, Abimelech, that we find in the book of Judges. So let me start with a question. And I think it's, it's a fair question, because if I was living in this time where Abimelech was king or judge of Israel, and that's debatable by certain theologians as to his role in the life of Israel as well. But if I were to be living in this time, then I would probably become disillusioned with the injustice that was taking place in Israel and how Abimelech becomes king. So I thought about this question, have you ever become disillusioned with the injustice of the world? I mean, have you ever just turned on the news, had this moment in your life, you know, you, you, you 
read something on a social media platform and you say, where's God? Where is God in, in all of this? Look at all the injustice around us. And I think that topic of injustice, very appropriate to even touch upon this morning as we begin, because tomorrow being Martin Luther King Jr. Day, a day when we celebrate the life of an individual who I think God used to speak to us as a nation about injustice and about that in our nation of the great sin of prejudice and not treating each other as we are valued by God and extremely valuable in the sight of God as well. And so when we look at, I think, life sometimes, we look at it with, with this disillusionment as to where, where is God? And, and we think, well, maybe God has stepped away from life and God has stepped away from us. And, and so perhaps we, we believe in some doctrinal and theological stances that God created us, but then God has left us to find our own way in this world. And we know through teaching over the years that that is absolutely untrue as, as well. But if you look at Israel in this situation, but namely Abimelech as an individual and how he becomes king or self-proclaimed king of Israel, then I think you can ask this question, then where is God and when does God call in the chips when it comes to injustice and when does God make all things right? And can I tell you before we begin, God will. Did you know that? God will. Understand that. I, I think that that is not a debatable issue today. That I wrote in my journal this week that because we're going to talk about how we live and how important it is to live because God cares how we live our daily life out. And, and I wrote in my journal this, this week that God's taking notes. And I think that's important that we understand that sometimes we shy away from this aspect of the judgment of God. And we don't want to talk about it a lot, you know, but uh, to, re- to understand God and to realize that without judgment, there is no mercy. Do you understand that? In order to have some mercy in this world, there's got to be some judgment as well. And God knows we all need some mercy. Can you say amen to that? We all need some mercy in life for sure. And so what I realize is that God is taking notes about how we live our lives and how we conduct ourselves. And so God is aware. That's the point. That God is well aware of what's going on in this life. God is well aware of the injustices and the pain in the world. God is well aware of the injustice that you have experienced as well and the pain that you have experienced in your life. Of those moments when you see people that get ahead and you say, God, why are they getting ahead? Because they have done this all wrong. And here I am trying to do the right thing and live for you, Lord. And and yet I have not achieved what they have achieved. And that is a struggle. And that is a place that we can find ourselves in in life. So let's look at the life of uh, Abimelech together this morning. It's, a, it's Judges chapter 9, verse 1. Now Abimelech, the son of Jerubbabel, who is Gideon, by the way, if you don't know that, because it's been a while since our Advent series, we have forgotten our study of Gideon. So which is Gideon, went to Shechem to his mother's relatives and said to them, and to the whole clan of his mother's family, he shows up at the family reunion is what he does. And this is what he says. Say to the ears of the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you, that all 70 of the sons of Jerubbabel rule over you, or that one rule over you. And then he says, remember also 
that I am your bone and I am your flesh. So who is Abimelech and why should we talk about him this morning? Because it's probably not a judge that you would remember like Samson or that of Gideon or maybe a few others. So why should we talk about him and who is he? Well, first of all, understand what his name means. That his name means my father is king. That's what his name means. And it creates, I think, in him this sense of entitlement of something that he currently does not possess. It drives him to some very insane links as well. He is Gideon's son, but Gideon also has 70 other sons by the many wives that he has taken. Not just one wife, 70 sons. Wow, that would be an amazing person, correct? To have 70 sons. I also thought about this being a father of three sons. Could you imagine trying to feed 70 sons? Could you? It would be it's crazy just thinking about it, right? Absolutely. And so he has 70 sons by these many wives. Abimelech is born to a concubine. He, Abimelech is actually born to one of the slaves' girls of that of um, Gideon's wife or one of his wives. Very much a relationship like that of Abraham and Hagar, which produces Ishmael that we find in the Old Testament as well. So you see kind of how this sets everything up. And then we know that um, that uh, Abimelech's mom is from Shechem. So that's why he goes and talks to his relatives there as well. So I, I saw that I kind of put all this together, begin to think, you know, as I said in this story, in this narrative for a moment. And, and that is that you have this child, this, this son who is, is born to this massive family, but yet he's like the outsider. He, he's sort of like the half brother of all the others that he, his name means that my father is king, but there's 70 heirs ahead of him. Most likely, now I know they live a long time in this time of the Bible, but most likely he's not going to see that of ever being king or leader in any way. And, and yet also what is pushed him further down the list is that his mom is not actually a wife of Gideon. So what they realize is that, well, you know, he's kind of an outsider. And so he goes to his family in Shechem and he says, hey, listen, there's a vacancy if you haven't noticed it, right? And currently there's no judge or king in Israel. So who would you want to be king? The 70 blue bloods, you know, the 70 royals of Gideon's family or the hometown boy. It's sort of like a, a political speech, right? The hometown boy. It's the one that mowed all of your lawns growing up. It's the one that uh, you remember playing baseball with at the, the local baseball diamond. You know, it's me. You know me well. Who would you rather have is what he pitches to them. You say, well, Abimelech is just an ambitious guy, right? Is what he is. He, you know, he's pulling himself up by his bootstraps. He's born with somewhat of a disadvantage in life. And so this is just going to be one of those Old Testament stories is what it's going to be. And he's going to be a success story, but Old Testament style. So this is really about ambition. Let me start by saying this to you this morning. Misplaced ambition. 
And this is important. And I started to turn around and read it off the screen. It's such a habit of mine, right? And, and there's nothing there. But, uh, but misplaced ambition is dangerous when taken outside of God's will for our life. Realize that. We go through life thinking, well, I'm just going to seize all the moments and I'm going to seize all the opportunities. And that's an ambitious spirit. But mis, misplaced ambition is dangerous when taken outside of God's will for our life. Let me explain to you. Look at verse 3. And his mother's relatives spoke all these words on his behalf to the ears of all the leaders of Shechem. Shechem and you know, it's, his, it's his campaign group is what it is, right? And their hearts inclined toward Abimelech. For they said, he is our brother. He's one of our own. He should be king is what they're saying. And they gave him 70 pieces of silver out of the house of, of Baal-berath, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows who followed him. And he went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his brothers, the sons of Jerubal, 71 on one stone. That redefines sibling, sibyl, sibyl, what am I trying to say? Sibling rivalry. Yeah, that's it. That's right. It redefines it, doesn't it? Yes. Hey, it's one thing to have a fight with your brothers. If you've had brothers, you grew up with brothers, you probably had a, a, a verbal or maybe even a physical fight with him at some point. But yeah, this is a whole different story. This is sibling rivalry for sure at, at a greater length than we've ever seen before. But Jotham, the youngest of Jerubbaal's, was left, for he hid himself. And all the leaders of Shechem came together at Beth Milo, and they made, and they and they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar at Shechem. But Mark, it turns out well for Abimelech. I mean, he becomes king, right? It, it, it all comes out in the wash. He took advantage of the opportunity. He. He, he has a lot of ambition about him, and he made this thing work, and he fulfills his namesake. So now there's another judge or king or whatever you want to call him. If you look at all the lists with certain theologians and writers of the book of Judges, of the list of, of actual bona fide judges there, that many times they leave Abimelech out of the list, or they put an asterisk beside his name. If you look at a list and, and there's an asterisk beside your name, then there's something different about you on the list as well, and that is him. So here's my thought. That when you force things to work, and, this is, and, and we do this, Again, I almost turned to the screen again, right? So when you, when you force things to work, they may appear to work out for you initially, but don't judge that as success too quickly. Ever been there? Well, the door is open, right? Why not walk through it, correct? Yeah, I'm going to seize this opportunity. Oh, by the way, I mean, my, my name is, my father is king. So this is my opportunity to seize, is, is what we would think. So I'm going to walk through the door, is, is what I'm going to do. And then we have these momentary experiences, I think, where it appears that we succeed in these areas. But don't judge that too quickly, is what we're learning from this text this morning, I think. Because you say, wait a minute, but he is king, though. You can't take and yeah, you can't take that away from him. 
but that's not the way it's going to always work out for him. I can't tell you exactly what God's will was for Abimelech. I can't do that, but I can tell you exactly what it was not. And it was never to murder his 70 half-brothers so he could come the king of Shechem. It was never that at all. No. Why do you... Why, how do you know, Mark, for sure that it wasn't God's will for him to become king? Because God had not yet established a hereditary monarchy for Israel. And God will do that sometime in the future, but God is yet to do that. So here's what Abimelech does. Abimelech gets, he gets ahead of God, is what he does. He gets ahead of God. He gives God a helping hand, and he gets ahead of God. Have you ever said to God, and have you ever seen those moments where you had an opportunity in life, and, and you say, man, here it is. It's right in front of me. And so, man, you're not praying about it. You're not considering God. This is the door that's open. I'm going to do this, and, and I'm going to walk through this. This seems to be my destiny as well. And, and I know that God would want this for me. And, and so you step through that door, and that's exactly what Abimelech does, that he gets ahead of God. And when you get ahead of God, then it's going to cause you some problems. So let's just kind of clear the room because I've been here and I understand that. So this is a moment to be honest, right? This is church. So you got to be like just honest and transparent. And so um, how many of you have ever felt like in your life that you made a decision and you just kind of got ahead of God? Raise your hand. Let me see your hand this morning. Good. Good. I don't feel bad then. I feel better. Thank you for making me feel better. They know that this, that's where we are. That's, that's exactly what Abimelech is doing here. He is reckless and careless. He sinfully uh, self-fulfills his own destiny. He, was, he steps into God's role. It's a sin as old as the book of Genesis, isn't it? With Adam and Eve. That he steps into the role of God for his own life. Why? Because he is entitled because of his name and who he is. And his name is my father is king. So I'm entitled to do this. I wrote this week in my journal. I said to myself about entitlement because I thought about this a great deal. That entitlement is perhaps the greatest enemy to the gospel within our lives. When we think that we deserve anything in this life other than death through, without the grace of God working through us and in us, then we are in trouble ourselves. Because if you were to put on a spectrum of entitlement and that of, of grace and the gospel within our life, what the gospel is is something that's given to you and I free without any merit, without any type of and a way of you and I to deserve anything from God that God freely gives to you and I that of redemption within our lives. So I don't have any, I don't, I don't deserve any of that at all, but it's a free gift from God. And what I realize is that here is Abimelech who is, feels entitled to this. So what happens in our lives? What happens in our lives when you attempt to substitute your will for God's will. But Mark, I'm just, I'm just, you know, I, I'm just fulfilling what's mine is what I'm doing here. 
God, God would want this for me. How could this relationship be so terrible for me? This makes me happy as, as well. Some people get hurt, but sometimes that's the cost of doing business. And, and this, is, this is not a subject for us to take lightly this morning. Because what I realize is that it matters to God how I live my life. It does. That, that I can show up here every Sunday morning, you know, and I, and I can go through a, a lot of spiritual rhythms as well. I can do things that we call Christian as well. But yet when it comes down to all of this, it matters how I live my life. It matters how I live those moments of my life out, how I navigate the opportunities that I have as well. And when I look at this text, I realize that God is taking notes. Well, even Abimelech takes it a step further and he sets his coronation up at, at that uh, of the oak of the pillar of Shechem. And, and I thought, well, there must be something very particular about that spot and there is because it's where Joshua in Joshua 24 and, and 26, he, he simply places a copy of the law of God there at the, at the oak at the pillar of Shechem. So what he says is, this is what God wants for me. He brings God into it is what he does. That this is something that God wants for my life. I, I want to talk to you about how you live your life this morning. Because I think there's something extremely relative to our lives that we find here in the book of Judges chapter 9. So I thought about how do we talk about this together for the next few moments. Who writes the most about how to practically live my life out? And I thought about Paul. So I went to the book of Ephesians. And it's Ephesians chapter 5. In verse 15, and here's what it says. It says, look carefully then how you walk or how you live. Look carefully then how you live in Ephesians 5 and 15. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So here's what I would say this morning. Live cautiously, live intentionally and prayerfully, but never carelessly. Never live your life carelessly as if somehow it doesn't matter as if somehow that if it just all works out in the end then 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 it is okay and that's not what we learn from this text at all it's how we live those moments of our life those those moments with our family and our spouse those moments in our relationships with other people on the job. It's how we live out everything about our life. It matters to God. It matters. Because God does take notes. He does. So I live cautiously and intentionally and prayerfully but never carelessly in this life. This is what Paul is saying to you and I. He says, watch carefully how you live. Watch carefully how you walk, is what he's saying. It gives us this connotation of that, of this, of, of this being something that is intentional, that there is a target for my life. So what is that target? And that target is what pleases God. 
is what it is, the God's purpose for my life. He says in this text that you are to look and to walk and to think that it engages my heart and my mind and my body as well and to how I live my life out, how I treat you and love you and care for others around me. Thinking about how I live and I focus is an intentional thing for me because he says making the best use of the time because the days are evil. I'm intentional about how I approach every opportunity Every open door, every relationship, every person in my life, every decision that I'm intentional to make sure that those things are on target for the purpose of God within my life. Because what I realize is that the tempo and the rhythms of the world are not what God's purposes is for me. Understand that. The world has different values. The world has an agenda that it is pressing on you and I is what it's doing. And if I set my life on the world's agenda, then I live like Abimelech. But what I realize it matters to God how I live my life. So what I understand about this life as a believer, that it's a struggle and it's a battle to declare war both mentally and spiritually in my life, on this gravitational pull of the world around me. This is an absolute war for me to not get sucked into the vortex of this world and its agenda for my life. So this is a fight. Every day, every moment, until I'm either taken from this world through death and then then glorification or I am taken by that of the return of Christ. Every day that we live in this broken world, it is a fight against you and I and the purposes of God within our life and the agenda of the world that the world wants to press in and on our lives. So it's a fight for us. So you've greeted each other this morning, right? You know the person next to you well. Could you turn to them one more time and say good morning to them? Do you mind doing that for a moment? Good. Now you're comfortable. Now say say this to them. Are you ready to fight? Ask them the question. Are you ready to fight? Some of you say, Mark, you don't realize how long I've been waiting to ask this person that question. You don't know the drive this morning on the way to church, right? The devil was in the back seat and we don't even have kids, right? Correct, correct, yeah? So, how how often do you get up in the morning and the thought comes across your brain that the world has an agenda and its purpose is to press that agenda into my life. But God has a divine purpose and plan for my life. And so there is this ready-made tension between the two that just doesn't go away.
Some years ago, I, I read a book by Tim Keller, and it was just about this subject. And he used the analogy of a car where your, the front end of your car is out of alignment, right? And, and what that means is, is, is that when you were to let go of your steering wheel, then your car would just veer to the edge of, of the road, right? Correct. Some of you thought, well, I, I just thought that my car naturally had an inclination for the edge of the road. It's probably because your car needs an alignment, right? Some said, well, my car always does that. It veers to the edge of the road when I pass um, a Krispy Kreme and the... Right, correct? Have you ever noticed that? How your car somehow knows to go that direction, right? Yes. And how do you correct that? Well, you take it to the shop, but before you get to the shop, you just place your hands firmly on your steering wheel and you turn your wheel with great strength if it's that bad, right? And you bring it back into the lane that you're traveling in that's gonna take you to your desired destination. So I said to myself, self, right? (laughs) You ever talk to yourself? Self, if you're not fighting every day, You're fading. If you're not fighting every day, you're going to fade. You fade into the agenda of the world. You fade into the agenda of the world that says to you, hey, my name is Abimelech, right? My, My name is Father is King. There's a vacancy, there's an opportunity. Seize the opportunity. I may have to kill my brothers for it, but in the end, it'll work out. And I'll just simply do all of this in the name of God anyway. And it will all come out in the end good. You see, there's an agenda for your own heart and mind that the world has. Realize that. So I thought, what is that? It's 1 John chapter 2. You can read it later on, but it's three things. And I mentioned them quickly to you this morning. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The lust of the flesh says to us, oh, this is about my gratification over God receiving glory through my life. We've talked about that Last week about Christ be glorified in me. We talked about that. It is the lust of the eyes. It is materialism. And and that is that, that everything I want, I want to be able to hold in my hands that I forget the value of other things in in life as, as well. And the pride of life is that I become the point of life and not God. And that's Abimelech. And that's the agenda of the world. So what do you do, Mark? You fight to keep from fading into the agenda of the world. Because it's not like that just one day you wake up, right, and you're going to make decisions like Abimelech. It's not that at all. No, no, that, that you progress into those moments of your life, don't you? That you kind of, you work your way there, so to speak, 
is what it does. And, and then you find yourself there and you wonder, how, how did I get there? Because you stopped the fight. So here's what I'd like to give you. I'd like to give you four things. And, and I, oh, again, you know, it's such a habit. I almost said they're on the screen behind me, but they're not. But here they are. If you have printed notes, fine. Uh, Bible app, they're on there as well. But, but here's, I think, four good ways to start before we finish our narrative this morning. It's this. The first is this, and they're formed in a question. The first is, are you intentionally formulating a plan spiritually for your life? Are you intentionally formulating a plan spiritually for your life? Are you planning devotionals, reading, prayer, moments of solitude, and focus upon God? Are you planning that? Because none of those things happen accidentally. Did you realize that? None of them do. You have to plan those things. Secondly is this. Are you setting godly priorities and boundaries for your life? What is important to God is important to you. And are you setting boundaries for your life? Because if you're not setting some boundaries for your life, you're probably living on the other side where those boundaries should be right now. Three, are you navigating your relationships in a godly manner? Are you navigating your relationships in a godly manner? And that's not just sex, but it is sex as well. But it's more than that. How are you navigating those relationships? How are you treating others? How are you valuing or devaluing God's great creation of humanity? The fourth is this. Are you guarding your mind and your heart? Are you guarding your mind and your heart? Are you doing everything that you can to guard those things, guard your mind and your heart against the agenda of the world? Wow. Because I think we can live our life just saying, man, I made it through the day not just doing this, right? And, and they say, yes, that's good. And so our life becomes this sum of wins and losses is what it becomes kind of in our, in our life but what I realize is that this is about putting to death my flesh is what this is about. This is about putting to death my flesh. This is about people like Abimelech who would, who would see this vacancy. They, they would look and they say, what well, I'm entitled because of my name. But yet they would say, wait a minute, but this is not God's will for my life. Or I'm going to pray and ask God to see if this is God's will for my life. But yet they take things into their own hands and they make it work. And they fall into the agenda of the world. It matters how you live in this life. So can I read some more, read you more of the story? And then we tie this together. Verse seven. But before we get there, this is, an, this is a parable. This is an Old Testament parable, which is extremely powerful. And so I want to read it slowly to you this morning so you can kind of absorb what is there as well. We'll read a little more and we'll pray together before we leave. But this is about looking at your heart. This is about the decisions that you make and honestly looking at the decisions that you've made in life and where you are and answering the question, is this God's best for me? Is this God's will for my life? And honestly asking you that yourself that question because this is Jothan. This is the lone survivor of the massacre of the 70 sons. 
of Gideon. Verse seven, when it was told to Jothan, he went and stood at the mountain, cried aloud and said to them, listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. And here is the parable. The trees once went out to anoint a king over them. And they said to the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, shall I leave my abundance by which gods and men are honored and go hold sway over trees? And the tree said to the fig tree, you come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go hold sway over the trees? And the tree said to the vine, You come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, shall I leave my vine that cheers God and men and go hold sway over the trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble. You know what a bramble is? It's a thorn bush, right? You can tell that they're getting desperate here, these bunch of trees, right? And they said to the bramble, come, you come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, if in good faith you are anointing me king over you, Then come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the the cedars of Lebanon. So I sit in that verse for a while and I thought, what does this mean? You know, that when we have these opportunities in life, do we consider God in the middle of those moments? Do we bring God into those places? That, yes, it's a great thing to be king, but would it be worth the olive tree leaving this abundance by which gods and men are honored to go be king over trees? Would it be worth that of the fig tree to leave the sweetness and the good of its fruit to do that? Would it be worth the vine to to leave its fruit that cheers God and men to go hold sway over trees? It's a moment to consider these things and these moments of our lives. Because what Jotham does after he gives them this parable that he then says to them, hey, if you chose If you chose Abimelech in good faith as the men and the leaders of Shechem, if you chose him in good faith, then rejoice in God over that decision. Rejoice in God over that. But if you didn't choose him in good faith, then brace yourself because the fire is coming. Why? Because God takes notes. Because It does matter to God how you and I live our lives. Because God is involved. Last thought. And Hannah can play. So I can wrap this up with you this morning. The thought is since since how we live matters to God, and I think that's such an important thing to really rest in for a moment, then rest assured, God's always present. God's always present in these moments, in these places, in this part of our journey. He's always active in all these places of our lives. 
accomplishing his divine will. Look at verse 22. Abimelech ruled over Israel for three years. Three years Israel lives in this reign of terror of Abimelech. Three years. And then it says in verse 23, and God sent an evil spirit. Boy, that'll set your ears on edge, will it not? Yeah. And God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem. And the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech that the violence done to the 70 sons of Jerubal might come and their blood be laid on Abimelech, their brother, who killed them, and the men of Shechem who strengthened his hand to kill his brothers. And the leaders of Shechem put men in ambush against him on the mountaintops and they robbed all who passed by them along the way. And it was told to Abimelech. So I have to go back to verse 23. And God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem. That what God does, that God is sovereign. So God removes the peace between them is what he does. You see, God loves you and I to the great extent that he will even make things in our life extremely uncomfortable for you and I to see him. Does that make sense to you? Oh, but Mark, God is good. God, yeah, yeah, true. God is good, and he is a good father. And what a good father does is at times makes things the opposite of peace in the lives of his children so his children will understand their great sin. So you see, here's God. He didn't go on vacation. God didn't walk away from this and just put his hands in his robe and say, I'll watch this and see how it plays out. But God is in the middle of all of this because it matters to him. Look at verse 52. And Abimelech came to the tower fought against it, drew near to the door of the tower to burn it with fire. And a certain woman threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. You have to love the Old Testament, don't you? There's just nothing like it. You ever heard the statement, dude, if you don't get out of my face, I'm gonna go all Old Testament on you. You ever heard that? Right? Yeah, this is what this is. Give me a millstone. I can do some work, baby. Yes. You you killed 70 of your brothers and all it takes is some lady on top of a tower with a big rock and you're toast, you're done, right? But verse 54 tells us what kind of individual Abimelech is. Then he called quickly to the young man, his armor bearer, and said to him, draw your sword and kill me. Least they say, a woman killed me. Hey, Abimelech. 
You were killed by a woman. Okay, I just want you to know that, right? Right? Yeah, it, this is the truth. Boy, that's a whole good sermon on pride, I suppose. Yes. And his young men thrust him through, and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, everyone departed to his home. Thus God, what does it say? Thus God returned the evil of Abimelech, which he committed against his father to killing his 70 brothers. And God also, because God doesn't leave any stone unturned, remember? Or millstone. And God also made all the evils of the men of Shechem return to their heads. And upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubbabel. Because what we didn't read is back in Shechem, when the leaders of Shechem run to the tower, there's no woman with a millstone there. And Abimelech burns them all in the tower. So what's the thought, Mark? What are you saying to us this morning? I'm saying to you today, it matters how you live in this life. It matters. It matters how you live out the rhythms and the mundane moments, the conversations with your wife. It's how you treat your children. It's how you react to your crazy neighbor. It's how you deal with the person on your job. It's how when there's opportunities for advancement in your life that you consider God before you step through those moments in your life. That you weigh what it will do to other people. That it matters. That God is in the middle of your life, working a great work in you. You see, it took three years for Jothan's prophecy, his parable, to come to pass. Three years. But rest assured, in my life and your life, nothing escapes God. Nothing. Nothing. Also, Mark, this is one of those sermons where God's keeping score, and no, that's not what I'm saying to you. But I would also be amiss to tell you anything other than the truth that God does take notes and it matters to him what you do in this world it matters and this world is not a world that you can live in without intention this world is not a world that you can live in without without a target and without a purpose and a priority and boundaries in your life. You, you just can't do it as a believer. You can't. Because if you're not fighting, you're fading. So he's challenging us today. In this moment where we live, 
he's challenging us on how we live. So can I pray with you this morning? Would you take a posture of prayer, however that looks for you? Whether you bow your heads or close your eyes or just sit there silently. So, Father, we thank you today that you speak to our hearts like nothing else can. Your word is like a sword, sharp on both edges, who cuts right through to our very heart and where we live. And so, God, that's where you're challenging us. in these moments of our life and how we conduct ourselves. That God, there's a lot of things in our life that we lay at your feet to sanctify, but yet sometimes those are areas that we don't because we just take them for granted. And today we say, God, it matters to you. to you how we live our life. It matters. So Father, may today be a day that we take a stand. Today is the day that we plant our feet firmly in you by the power of your spirit. Against the, the agenda of Abimelech, the agenda of the world that would try to somehow seep into our lives. say no because we will live intentionally we will live on target God we will live with purpose and design and trust you God so Father we submit our life to you we submit our relationships our our professions our vocations we submit our academics we submit it all to you God today because it matters to you how we live in this world. Thank you, Father. Change us by your power, by the power of your spirit in our life. Change us today, God. Today we confess our sins to you, Lord, and where we failed you, we believe for them to be covered in your blood and forgiven. Thank you for joining us for this week's teaching. We hope you have a great week.